prompted. Enter your password. Password incorrect. Forgot your password. Please answer the security questions. What was your mother's maiden name? What was the name of your first pet? In what city were you born? How do you gain access to God? Too many failed golden attempts. Your account has been blocked. Contact your system administrator. Connection lost. Hello, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Hope you're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And if you're a guest, we're really glad you're here. It's a good time. Hey, you know, in a couple of weeks, we come to what you'd have to argue would be the pinnacle uh, celebration of our whole year as Christ followers, and that's Easter. It's the time when we were reminded that Jesus isn't dead. He's alive, and he changes everything because he is alive. So we're going to have a great time here that weekend. Um, I'm real excited about the theme. It's called Disillusioned. Uh, it really kicks off a whole series because there are so many ways that a lot of people are kind of disappointed, disgusted, disillusioned with God, questions about Christianity, the church, Christians in general. We're going to poke holes in some of those and disillusion some people, I hope. And it's going to be important. It's going to be fun and kind of creative, I think. And uh, I just hope you'll be praying about it and be thinking not only when you're coming, but who you could bring with you, who you could invite and get them here to one of our bajillion services at one of our campuses, and it's going to be great. Coming up in a couple weeks, we're going to finish strong with passwords, this series that we're working on right now, because passwords are those things that give you access, right? They, they, they give you entrance and you can go deeper. It's for all of us who might, who might be feeling like, you know, I want to go deeper with God. I want a real connection. Wherever you are, there's a place that you can go that's deeper, right? You can have deeper access to God. And so Jesus' friends, you know, they asked him, man, we want what you have. We see how you connect with the Father, God. You, you have a kind of access. And they, 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 that's when they said, Jesus, teach us to be like you. To teach us to pray like you. And of course, his answer was what we today call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. It's not a sort of thing to recite as much as it is a sort of invitation to think about how your life with God could look. You don't always just pray to change God's mind. You pray so it can change you. And uh, so we've been kind of going through this verse by verse. I just hope that it's, it's your prayer that you would say, you know, Jesus, give me deeper access to God. I want to connect with God in a deeper way. And so let's pray it together as we have every week. Let's stand to our feet again out of a, I guess, a kind of collective sign of reverence and respect. And we'll put the words on the screen. Let this be your prayer as we let the words kind of connect us. You ready? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For to you belong the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. 
Amen. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Great prayer. Great. We're working through this. This is, um, we're kind of reminded that the, the, a lot of the prayer is about asking. In fact, there's six petitions nestled in here. And Jesus instructs us, you know, start by talking about the things you ask on God's behalf. God, may your name be holy. May your name be great. May you be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. We start with those three. But then we come back down and we talk about ourselves. And the, there are three there. Lord, give us what we need our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. And, and, then, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You can see how, do you kind of see how all these are connected? We're going to look at those last two today. But those that forgive us as we forgive others and this deliver us from evil, this lead us not, can you see how they're all connected? That's what we're going to focus on today. We're, we're going to say, Lord, help us with temptation to sin. Because, Lord, when I, when I go away from you, I, I, I don't want to be away from you. I want to be close. I want to, I want to have a, a real relationship with you. So, so don't let me yield. I, I don't trust myself. When I get out there, man, I'm going to choose the wrong path. God, will you help steer me in the way that I want to go and protect me from all the evil that's out there and in me? And when I do mess up and when I go away from you, Lord, will you be quick to forgive me? And restore that relationship again so I can feel the joy of my salvation. And then, Lord, after you've done that, after you've steered my path so graciously and you've protected me from so much evil, and when I've stepped into it anyway, you've still forgiven me, God, will you just help me to reflect that to others as well so I can forgive others even as I've been forgiven? You see how they're all connected? They're all kind of about peace and, and, um, and freedom, aren't they? Do you see how they're about peace and freedom? Like, if, I, if I'm kind of living and dabbling in evil and there's darkness I'm harboring in my heart I'm not free I'm chained up by that and I want to be free from that so deliver me and, and when I'm dabbling in evil or a darkness in my heart I, I, I'm, not, I'm not free with God I, I feel bound and guilty and run, run from Him and, 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 and also you know when I don't have when I have unforgiveness in my heart toward you I, I'm, I think I'm kind of chaining you up but really I'm chaining myself up and so this is all about freedom and liberation, isn't it? It's also about peace. It's about intimacy with God. I don't want to stray away from you, so protect me from evil. Bring me back to you, God. I want to come home. When there's unforgiven sin, then the ledger isn't cleared with you and God. You need to be forgiven of that. That's about intimacy with God. And guess what? If I harbor unforgiveness toward you, I may think it drives a wedge between you and me, but what it really does is drive a wedge between me and God. So it's all about intimacy with God. It's about freedom. It's about peace and so forth. And that's what we're going to look at today. This phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What Jesus does here is so interesting. He turns our attention now to the grim reality of evil. If you want to pray, you've got to address this. If you want access, you want to go deep with God. Remember what? Remember, I love our definition of prayer. It's the real you. The real you and the real God. Talking about real life, having a real conversation. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to address the fact that, man, we live in the real world and we struggle in this fallen, broken, twisted up planet we call home, don't we? It's been that way ever since the garden. Evil has lurked around in the shadows of our own hearts and has conspired to destroy us. 
God warned Cain in the garden, and you're a fool if you don't think he's warning you right now. Sin is crouching at your door, the Bible says. And it des- its desire is to have you. So you must master it. And so Jesus says, you better pray about some deliverance and forgiveness. Jesus had just come out of the wilderness just before this. He had just had 40 days of temptation. He knows what he's talking about. And then they're looking, you see, you want what I got? Okay, you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn how to fight it like I did. So when you pray, you want a real relationship, you want to go deep and have access to God, you pray, forgive me, Lord, and deliver us, Lord, and help me to do the same for others. Now, what does it mean to say, God, don't lead us into temptation? That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Like, are we asking God not to be the one to cause us to sin sometimes? No, God, you know, God never leads us into temptation. The Bible makes that real clear. Uh, James chapter 1, when, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Well, God might test you to, flex your, to help your faith muscle grow, but he's never going to tempt you to sin. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else toward evil. But each one is tempted when by their own lusts and evil desires they are dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, she gives birth to a little baby called sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to a little baby called death. God doesn't tempt us, but he does want to guide us. And we need a guide. Some guys who travel around in the Middle East and they do these like uh, travel groups like with, with camels in the desert and so forth, they say it's very, very important when you select your travel guide as you're heading out into the wilderness of the desert. Because if you don't have a very intelligent, reliable, trustworthy guide who knows where he's going, you will die. <laughs> In fact, Kenneth Bailey was telling about how when they're out and he's in Egypt and he does all these trips and you get on these camels and you head off, you can't even see the tracks of the camel after two steps. It's that way in the desert, you know. And they don't know where they're going and they always choose the same guy named Uncle Zaki. And they tell Uncle Zaki as they're getting ready, they go, Uncle Zaki, don't get us lost now. Now, they, do they really mean Uncle Zaki? We don't think we can trust you because you're an idiot and, you know, no, no. They, they wouldn't be even leaving camp with Uncle Zaki if they thought that. What they mean is, we don't know the way we're going. And without you, we're going to get lost, so we know how important it is to follow you. And this is the sense of what we mean when we say, lead us not into temptation. We don't mean, God, I hope you don't get lost out there and screw me up in my life. We just mean, without you, we know we're in trouble. And we trust you to guide us because you know the way we need to go. So deliver us from evil. Now, when the first... First disciples heard that phrase. I, th- I think I know what they probably heard. Jesus says, so when you pray, pray, you know, deliver us from evil. And they're thinking, oh, I know who the evil one is. That's the Romans. Because, see, they had lived on, with a Roman boot on their neck for a long time. They hated the, the Pax Romana because of the brutality and the violence it meant for them personally. And so they're thinking, yeah, deliver us from the Romans. You better be doggone sure I'm going to pray about that. And there's a sense in which that's a legitimate way to hear this and to pray it because there's still evil at work in our world, right? I mean, look at the news every week, you know. There's another bombing, another terrorist threat. Innocent people dying. is evil. And we can pray to be protected and delivered from that. There's only one force more powerful than that. It isn't the U.S. military. But make no mistake, the most insidious form of evil, the most insidious expression and lethal expression of evil is not ISIS or Al-Qaeda or North Korea or some tyrannical regime in some far-off remote corner of, of the world, some demonic force out there. No, no, no. The most powerful expression of evil 
is right here. It's in you too. It's in our own hearts. That's where we harbor the very evil we despise and fear the most. And I think Jesus knew that. The worst evil happens not when someone comes in and forces us against our will to go serve, you know, some foreign regime. The greatest evil happens is when we of our own will decide to to get in bed with the evil one, to comply with his evil desires, to damage us, to dishonor God. That's the greatest threat. And so we pray for protection and deliverance that we won't be accomplices to the wrong kingdom. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then sometimes we, we become accomplices to the kingdom of darkness by the way we choose to live and think and act. And so we pray for protection and deliverance and forgiveness. And God answers that prayer, not by destroying every vestige of evil on the planet, but by transforming our hearts so that our hearts will not be a home for evil, but be a home for Jesus. Because the enemy wants to occupy your the territory that is called you. And I want to live under the reign of Jesus. So this is kind of um, Jesus right away at the beginning of the prayer saying, hey folks, we've got to keep it real. You know what? He's giving us a strategy for fighting temptation. And I think it is, name it. Name the evil that resides in your heart. Name our junk. We don't want to do that. Already some of you are pushing the guilt button. It's like, okay, here we go. Here's where I'm supposed to feel guilty, so I'm going to ignore it for a while until I get out of here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking, you want to go deeper? You want access? You want a real relationship with God that's full and free? You've got to get rid of the junk that separates you. So own it, and you do that by naming it. Name the enemy of your heart. Call it out. Call it for what it is. Go there. Don't just have your prayers be these surface little shallow, you know, nice day we're having. Good job with the weather, God. Thanks for the sweater. That's about it. Peace out. See you tomorrow. That's a shallow prayer. You want to go deeper? Name your junk with God. Call it out. God, forgive me for the anger I displayed toward my child. Forgive me for the selfishness that rises up in me when I have the conversation with that guy. Forgive me for the jealousy that I welcome whenever she's in the room. Forgive me for the lust that I keep feeding and pursuing in my life. Forgive me for the anger and the disobedience and the bitterness and the rage and the unkind words. Forgive me for the dishonesty, for the aggression, for my pride for my disobedience, you name it because without a diagnosis, you can't treat it. Someone hands you an inhaler, that's great, unless your problem is you have a bad heart. And the same way, we're spiritually sick, and so we got to know where is this thing, where is the thing we need deliverance from? Which you, you can't treat what you can't identify. Sin thrives in secret, and sometimes we even keep it a secret from ourselves by not admitting it or saying it or naming it. We think we're going to keep it a secret from God. And Jesus says, go there. Drag it out. Open the septic tank lid. Say, have a look. Here it is, God. Shine the light. Don't worry about what someone would think. Alcoholics Anonymous knows this. The more you deny it, you're a slave to it. But when you name it, then you're on the road to healing. And the same is true with God in prayer. And Jesus says, forgive us. Deliver us. Lead us away from temptation. So we need these strategies, see? 
a few years back, uh, we used to play some paintball back in the woods. Stu, you, you and I used to be, Stu, Stu has a PhD in paintball, and some of the rest of you guys. We, we were t- these guys took it real seriously. I had a friend visiting from out of town, and uh, his name was Craig, big guy, 6'5", 250, so he didn't have any clothes. I said, come on, play paintball with us. Well, he, he was like, paintball, it's a kid's game, I don't know, you know, whatever. Well, let me tell you what, he was in for a little surprise. First of all, I gave him a little sweatshirt of mine, so it came down to here, his belly sticking out. I gave him a mask down to here, he's out there. And we kind of, you know, just give me a gun, I'm ready to go, you know, but he was in way over his head, man, I'm telling you what. Soon, bull- yeah, how many of you played paintball before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, so it's not real bullets, but the adrenaline's the same. And uh, it's just hilarious. As soon as the game starts, you know, he, he didn't realize, these guys got Navy SEAL signs, they're like, you know, all of a sudden, he stands up, and it's like 10 seconds into the game, bam, he gets hit right in the neck. He's got purple all over his neck. He's like, wow, aside from being hilarious, because he was sore for about three days. You know, I think that's how, how the Christian life is for a lot of us. Because we thought it would be fun, a little child's game. I became a Christian. You know what? Guess what? It turned out to be a real struggle. Some of you are struggling with sin and temptation. You didn't know it would be this hard. You don't feel equipped. I mean, you thought you just going to become a Christian, get out of the baptistry and run around and sprinkle a little Jesus dust on everybody and it'd just be great. And then guess what? You stood up and you got, boom, it's, ow, it just got hit in the neck. Took me out of the game. And if that's you, you're a Christian and you still struggle with some sin, I got news for you. So do I. And you're normal. It's part of it. You're not alone. And the key is to know that it is a struggle and all it means is you're alive if you feel that struggle. Apostle Paul is probably the most you know, devoted, dedicated Christian in the history of the church for 2,000 years and he's the guy in Romans 7 who says, man... I love Jesus, but the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things that I want to go do, I know I should. I don't seem to pull that off. What's wrong with me? Some of you have felt like that. Some of you feel like that right now. And you're embarrassed so you don't tell anyone. You forget that there's a roaring lion. Peter says there's a roaring lion who's out to get you. He wants to dishonor God by destroying you, by making your life miserable and drawing you into sin. And Ephesians 6 says, you know what? It's like there is a struggle and it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against paintballs. It's against principalities and powers. There's a spiritual war going on. So you're not a stranger. You're not unusual and you're not alone. Me too. You know what we did with Craig? We had a strategy session. We said, Craig, dude, first of all, will you put something other than orange on? And will you sit down and quit sticking your neck out? And get behind this thing over here and go and we tell you and be patient and shoot and pin that guy down. And you know what? By the end of the day, he actually won one of those games with us. Okay, yeah, yay for Craig. With a bigger yay is when we get a little strategy going in our own lives and realize that the struggle is real and that the strategies can help us. The reality is it feels like war because it is war. It is war. Ben Stewart says this, Pursuit of intimacy is always accompanied by adversity. Think about that. The pursuit of intimacy is always accompanied by adversity. You want to be close to God? It's going to be a struggle. 
You want to have a good marriage? You're going to have to work for it. You want to have a good relationship with your kids? There's adversity in that. There's, there's a thousand things to keep you from doing it. And so either you cave or you struggle through it. The pursuit of intimacy always has adversity. There's a str- it is a war. 1 John 3 says that the Son of God came for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Them's fighting words. That's why Jesus came. Genesis 3 says, I'm sending the seed of a woman, that's Jesus, who will crush the head of the serpent with his heel. He didn't bend down and pet the snake. You know, nice little snakey. No, no, no. Violence, invasion, rescue operation. He saved us so that we could switch kingdoms and move out of dominion of darkness into his marvelous light. You are made for that kind of intimacy with God. It's what you're made for. And it's an ongoing mission. And there's still enemy at work remaining for a season in this world. And all of us still have that little voice that longs for those things which our Savior came to destroy. So we're in a struggle and it's a war. You know, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they were just scared to death of their enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines were beating up on them and it was terrible. But then remember what happened? David came and he went after the kingpin, Goliath, the big dumb giant. And he took him out. Boo! bigger they are, the harder they fall. And then know what happened because of that? That liberated the Israelites to go after those Philistines. And they did, and they chased him out of their land. And the same thing's true for us. Because when our son of David, King Jesus came he went after the kingpin our greatest enemy death itself and he defeated it once and for all and that liberates us to the battle it liberates us to go fight the addictions and fight the struggles the sin the temptations in our lives and to wage war we're not when jesus comes it's not like he sets us free from struggle no 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 he sets us free for the struggle and he gives us tactics and tools to carry out the same victory that he won on the cross. And so you're going to need to learn to fight well. You've got to have some tactics. So the first thing, we're going to name it. Take it to God and say, you deal with it. Help me. Guide me. Protect me. Another tactic is you've got to learn to move in two directions, the book of James says. You've got to move away from some things, from some thinking, and from some living some practices and some people. You've got to move away from some stuff that, that isolates you from intimacy with God. You know that there are some things that, that take you away and isolate you from God. You've got to move away from those things if you want to be close to Him. And you've got to move toward the things that bring life, toward the ways of thinking that bring intimacy with God. You've got to move away. You've got to move toward. The Bible calls that sanctification. To be sanctified is to be set apart. You move away from certain things and you move toward certain other things. The Bible describes it as putting certain things to death. You don't coddle it, pet it, and keep it, you know, you drive a stake through the heart. You've got to say, it's got to die. It's got to stop. I've got to put it to death. And some other things you've got to put to life. You've got to take some old clothes off and put some new clothes on. There's lots of metaphors. The Bible calls it mortification. Not the Bible. The old theologians call it mortification. I've got to kill some things off. To mortify them. Thinking and living that aren't welcome in my life anymore. Jesus died so that sin could be killed and I keep giving it life. I'm going to mortify it. And then I've got to vivify some other things. Vivification to bring to life ways of thinking that I want to see come to life in me. 
I want to be more like that. I want to be more like Jesus. I've got to bring it to life. Or a gardening analogy. I've got to pull up some weeds by the roots. I've got to pull up some junk that's growing in the soil of my life and my soul, my character. Who's going to pull that out? Someone else? No, you have to. The struggle is real. You've got to pull up that. And then you've got to, in that fresh soil, now you've got to plant some stuff and nurture it and water it and let the Son of God light get to it so it can grow. Pull some stuff up, plant some other stuff. You've got to move away from stuff that isolates you from God and move toward intimacy with God. Fight for that closeness that we want when we say Jesus teaches how to pray. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue the righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You've got to flee from some stuff. You've got to run towards some good stuff. Do you know what it is in your life that's a weed that's got to be rooted up right now or it's going to keep it's going to grow and mess up the whole whole future of your life? You're going to have unintended consequences you don't want. Do you know what those things are you got to pull up? And some things you got to plant, some basic habits and practices. To put it another way, where is the devil giving you a where are you giving the devil a foothold in your life? I'm a rock climber, and you look at a face from a distance, a face of rock, it looks like you can't climb it. But you get up close, you realize all you need is just a little ledge, you know, an inch or two. You can put a foot right there. And then you just get a little foothold here and a handhold here, and you can just stand up on it. You're climbing. And where are you giving the devil a foothold? Because he's off at a distance studying the wall of your life. He can see the footholds. Do you know where they are? Do you know where you're giving him the foot? Oh, so he can ascend and gain access to your heart and your mind and make you a willing accomplice in his kingdom of darkness by dressing it up and making it look all light and nice and happy? Do you have friendships with people in your life that always end up leading you into trouble? What are the habits that you have that aren't wholesome and don't lead you to closer freedom and purity and intimacy with God where are the places you go that need to be rooted up like cancer early detection is key so you want to find the little spots on your spiritual MRI you look for secrets you look for lies you look for dark corners where you don't want anybody looking or talking not even God or yourself where your conscience is trying to speak up but it keeps getting muted a fault in your character. Advice others have given you that you're not heeding. These are things. Because I'll tell you, what Satan wants to do is get you to damage yourself and dishonor God. Destroy your life and disappoint God. And he wants to make it look attractive. He'll dress up the pig so it looks really good. He'll bring along a little lure. Here you go, fishy, fishy. To make it look really, oh, looks yummy to me. I don't see any hooks or line. And you go after it. He doesn't want you to think about where this is going to lead or where it's going to end up. He doesn't want you to think about the future. He doesn't want you to think about the people you're going to disappoint or let down. And he doesn't want you, most of all, to think about the Father whose heart you're breaking and who loves you so much. Because here's the deal. Behind every sin is our belief that God is not enough, that He really isn't a good dad, that our Father doesn't love us. He doesn't know what He's talking about. The spigot of temptation, however, is turned down when we live 
in closeness to God, remembering how much He loves us. How do I dislodge some thing I'm latching onto in my life? How do I dislodge that from my heart? I replace it with a more beautiful object of my affection. I love God more. I let Him love me more. And your enemy doesn't want you to think about that. How much the Father loves you. Which leads us perfectly to that final phrase. As it's said in the prayer in, in Luke 11, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us how much the Father loves us, y'all. When we're healthy spiritually, we're receiving lots of forgiveness from God on a daily basis. And when we're healthy, spiritually, we're extending that grace liberally to other people who've wronged us. The two are connected. You can see them like the cross beams of a cross. Father, forgive us as we forgive others. You know, those words are sometimes confusing to people. Debts and trespasses. Forgive us our debts. How did that happen? Well, Jesus uh, was praying this prayer, and Mark, excuse me, Matthew and Luke both wrote it down. Jesus originally spoke in Aramaic. They went and wrote it down in Greek, and uh, they wrote down different words, deaths and trespasses. That's why we have both in the Bible. And both of those words actually are captured in the one word that Jesus probably used. Debts refers to unfulfilled obligations toward God and toward other people. Stuff you didn't do. Stuff you left undone. These are the sins of omission. The Bible says if you see the good to do and you don't do it, you're still sinning. If you, if you held back, you didn't give, you didn't love, you withdrew, you said no. That's, that's, that's something we, we have, the debt we owe and we, we need forgiveness for that. Trespasses is when you step across a line. Where you go where you shouldn't. You go against the boundaries that God has established for himself or the boundaries of another person's life and self-respect and decency. You go against that. You say it's not a sin of omission. It's what you did. It's a, it's a sin of commission. And we need both of those things forgiven when we go the things I did and didn't do, things I committed and failed to commit. And so I come to the Lord and I confess these sins. Now, guess, guys, this is not where you're kind of like I think a lot of us get hung up here because we think confession, I mean, telling God is like going to really ruin his day. Like I'm going to be like, okay, God, you better sit down for this. I got some bad news. Um, well, you weren't around last Friday night. Here's what happened. He's like, what? No. This is the part where we finally tell God that we see what he already sees. That, that we finally acknowledge what he already knows so that we can deal honestly and the real you and the real God can have a real conversation about what to do next and we need this every day like manna he provides broken fragments of bread on the ground we offer him the broken fragments of our sins so he can restore the joy of our salvation we need bread and forgiveness every day and God by his grace provides it and it started in Jesus most clearly we see it in Jesus. As they ridiculed him and said crucify him, he said nothing. As they poked him with sticks and spat on him and put a crown of thorns jammed down askew on his brow, they drove nails through his hands as he cried out, Daddy, where are you? As the father had to turn away as they hung him in the afternoon sun on that cross. 
That's evil. That's evil. And make no mistake, it was your sin and mine that put him there. It was for you he endured that. And in that moment, Jesus prayed, Luke 23, Father, forgive them. Pilate didn't come asking for forgiveness, neither did the centurion, neither did you. It wasn't because you all did, we all did a bunch of good works and he said, wow, that's impressive, I guess I'll forgive him. No, he went first in the midst and the height of it, hanging on the cross, he still said it, Father, forgive them. Do you believe there is more grace in God than there is sin in you? You can't look at the cross and come to any other conclusion. I don't care who you are or what you've done. God's love is unfathomable and full and free and rich toward you so that your sins, though they may be as scarlet, you can be white as snow. No matter how sullied or soiled your soul may be, you can say, cleanse me, God, and he will. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And if you receive that kind of love and that grace finds you, it changes you, how can we but Share that same grace and forgiveness with other people. Show me a person who won't forgive and begrudges a long time and won't let go. I'll show you a person who hasn't really received the grace of Christ. Christ followers are not just forgiven. We're forgivers. We're dispensers of the same grace we've received. And heaven knows we've all been hurt. We've all been wronged. You've been given the shaft. Someone didn't come through for you. Someone hurt you. It might have been a parent, a, a spouse, a child, crushed you, dishonored you, was disloyal, they left you, they broke your heart, they abandoned you. I know, it goes on and on. We've all got it. We're all offended. Maybe they're dead now and it still makes it hurt. Everyone's been hurt. We've all got junk. And then that can become a cancer and it festers. Remember, remember Forrest Gump? Remember her, his friend Jenny? She had that terrible, abusive childhood. She grew up in this home and it was terrible. And she prayed one time when she was little, God, make me a bird and I'll fly away. And she, as soon as she could, she did. And she went away and she got lost in a world of drugs and sex and men and awful stuff. And then later, she's walking with Forrest and she comes and she sees that old house and brought back memories. I didn't watch the screen. Every day we take a walk and I'd jab her on like a monkey in a tree. And she'd listen about ping-ponging and shrimping and mama making a trip up to heaven. I did all the talking. Jenny most of the times was, was real quiet.
Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. It's probably good for all of us <clears throat> to have a kind of moment like she had where we identify clearly what the hurt is. But if it stays there, there's never enough rocks. After you identify what the hurt is, and if you just stay there, you're stuck. And that's why God invented something called forgiveness to set us free. As Ephesians explains it, be kind and compassionate, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know, the word forgiveness in the Bible in the original language is the word aphiomi. Aphiomi. comes from two words. Apo, which means from, and hemi, which is the truck engine. No. Hemi, hemi means send. So literally the word forgiveness means to send from, to send away, to let go of. Let it go. That's what Jesus did for you. And the scriptures say that's the power that you now have and the gift you have. When you forgive, you don't hold on to you. Send it away. You release, say, I release you from that. You don't owe me anything. This is the cost, but I cancel that debt. I forgive you. I will remember it no more. I'm sending it away. You don't owe me anything. I'm going to quit talking to you about it. I'm going to quit talking to her about it. I'm going to quit talking to myself about it because it is over. See, when we keep swallowing bitterness and live in unforgiveness, we think we're going to like eat rat poison and kill the rat. But it ends up killing us. We think we're going to shackle some person with our grudge and it ends up shackling ourselves. So you let it go. You ask for God's help to let it go. You, to forgive is to set a prisoner free. And then you discover that the prisoner was you. And when that happens, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Go ahead and watch the screen one more time.
You've got to decide what kind of life you want to have. What kind of person you want to be and become. Because every one of us, we have, a, we have a card with bad stuff on it. Yours may be really bad. It's not about what they did to you. It's what you're going to do now. By the power of Jesus Christ, there's something on the other side of that card. You can flip and turn it over, and it changes everything. It doesn't mean you don't say it, you say it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you, you know, you, you don't let them keep abusing you. It just means you're going to let it go in the way that Jesus did and live on the other side of grace. We're going to share around the Lord's table like we do every single week right now. And Jesus is going to meet us here. And when he shows up, this one who came down from the cross and is alive again with forgiveness in his eyes, he's going to, he's going to tell you, he's going to say, you know, I forgive you. And I invite you to receive that. But for your hands to be open, to really receive the grace of God, you're going to have to also let some stuff go. So after you receive the forgiveness of God, he's going to ask you now, do you have anything else you need to do? And maybe today is the day that you let it go. As you're thinking about that person or that event or that moment. Ben, you don't understand. It's like, I know I don't. But Jesus does. So you tell him. And you have a real conversation with him about it. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet and we'll sing together.